Okay, so I've got a new introduction for us. Are you ready? I'm very excited. Okay. Welcome to Complaints on a Podcast. You got to imagine there's going to be lots of graphics. It's very LBC. It goes complaints, complaints, complaints. Podcast, podcast, podcast. The best place for news, sports, and weather. Well, not so much sport or weather, or <laughs> really the news, but a very specific part of the news, <laughs> just anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism <laughs> all the time. Coming to you every week. Well, not, not every week, but I every week. just so often. Just oh, well, like I'm, I'm in the middle of the... Uh, I've got lots more to go. Are you... <laughs> I'm interrupting you. <laughs> complaints, complaints, complaints on a podcast. Do, 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 do. Listen to this. The 195th most listened to political podcast on Apple. According to some random website I got. I really? Are we in the top 200? Top 200 of, of politics, specifically. Right. How many podcasts are there about politics? Just I, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's seven and then there's nothing and then there's us at 198 or whatever. Uh, that'll do, that'll do. Anyway, welcome to Complaints of Podcast, the sexy, crazy, high-budget podcast that we, we're now in my head and it's all imagined. So we've only got back about 196 to catch up with Chapo, probably. Right, I'd love to know what 196 is. This is in the UK anyway. I don't know if Chapo. Oh, right. Yeah. In the UK. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're like uh, 10 places even further back in Ireland. Got a lot of work oh to do. We're going on an Irish tour, I think, to try and rally support. Uh, anyway, so uh, welcome to Blanks on a Podcast. Uh, as always, please like, subscribe, comment on the video if you're watching on YouTube, if you're on the podcast. Listen to it on Apple. We've got to get to 96. Don't listen to it on anything else. Only Apple now. That's the new goal. Uh, today we're going to talk about what we're going to talk about the NEC elections. Exciting stuff happening in the NEC elections. I'm trying to be like really like a proper host. Wow, the NEC elections, exciting stuff. Yes, uh, Naomi Wimborne Adrisi, big news, really juicy gossip. We're going to get into that later. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that audience? Keep listening. Don't stop. There's going to be amazing gossip coming out about that. Uh, but first. Uh, well, let's roll the music and then we'll come. I don't know about the student show. So the NEC elections, before we get into it, uh, Heather, do you want to explain what the NEC is for people that might not know? Uh, yeah, so the NEC stands for National Executive Committee and that is the highest governing body of the UK Labour Party. So... Um, you can quibble about how much power it has, but it certainly has significant power. Votes on that do determine different things. They determine, for example, that Jeremy Corbyn was going to be on the ballot back in 2016. Could have gone another way. Um, and it has a lot of different um, bodies that make it up and people are represented there. So trade unions have quite a high representation. Um, MPs, um, members of parliament have representation, for example. There's two places that go to elect representatives of local councillors. Um, the, and uh, the leader as well, do they? Leader and deputy leader, absolutely. And how, how, many, how many actual places are there on the That's NEC? A good question. I can't remember, it's over 30 though. Yeah, it's right, so, a huge something amount. Something in the region of 33. And only nine of those places are directly elected by members. But, and that's what's just happened. So the members have yeah. all been given the opportunity to uh, elect these nine members. Yes. And there was a change that happened after Keir Stan was appointed to change from a first past the post system, whereby for the nine places, you, everyone got nine votes. 
So essentially, whichever faction had the majority of the membership could win all the places to a proportional voting system, single transferable vote. So that group of nine CLP reps, they're called CLP reps because they represent the constituency Labour parties who are the members, um, are kind of roughly split between the two factions, the main the left-wing faction and the right-wing faction. Um, and the last thing which is probably important to say about a National Executive Committee is that previously it didn't have much of a disciplinary role, but under Jeremy Corbyn, because there were so many cases coming forward, so many complaints, so many investigations, um, since then they have, have had a much bigger role and most disciplinary cases don't go to the main big disciplinary committee, which is called the NCC. They stay with the National Exec and are decided by panels of three. So they ha that's a crucial thing to understand because a lot of what's being argued about and contested inside the Labour Party is about disciplinary matters and who should be a member and on what grounds. Yeah, so I think there's two things that's quite interesting. One is that because of what happened under Corbyn, because basically internal Labour politics became both like politicised in a way that it, it wasn't before because basically one faction controlled most of the inner workings, but it also became public. It became sort of a public news story about basically is, is the Labour Party as a body able to um, control these this rabble of membership that it has? That was the kind of framing. And was the leadership responsible for that? Was the NEC responsible? What was going on? So you've got this kind of weird thing where a lot of people, including myself, who didn't know anything about internal Labour politics five years ago or seven years ago, however <laughs> long ago it was now that Corbyn became leader. Now, now it's like it's like the main kind of thing that you sort of discuss and think about as part of which is obviously just terrible for, for the Labour Party in any sort of sense of it being a political movement that could ever do anything that was so sort of concentrating on these internal squabbles. Although, you know, the, the reason is it's because it is tearing the party apart because there's, there's so much going on. And it's also because, to, I don't know how I'm quoting here, but um, I'm going to sort of quoting someone I know in Hackney Labour. Um, the line of class struggle runs through the Labour Party. So this is not an irrelevance, these internal no, struggles. No. These struggles are intrinsic to capitalism. No, in, in a sense... Winning control of the main left-wing party in a country, um, particularly a country like ours that has doesn't have proportional representation, it's absolutely critical for the left. I mean, in a sense, you could say it is a kind of progression in the way that I, for example, didn't really know where the fight was before that. And, it, and, and I guess just before Corbyn became leader, before you had the mass membership, it was just outside the party. And now it's kind of in and people are aware of the party and how that's, that's bl blocking certain political views getting put forward. And so the battleground has shifted to inside the party, I would say, where it I would wasn't. Say it's always been inside the well, party. Um, well, but, but the, the battle wasn't taking place. That's what I mean. Well, it was. There wasn't. They, well, there was a battle. There's always been a battle. That's why, for example, the rules which are now being used to chuck people out of the party were invented decades and decades back right to chuck yeah, out no, the okay. members of the communist party and they were used to chuck out militants yeah I'm, I'm being very Nazis. like from my own position of yeah. understanding but i feel like a lot of the, it ha, there is a lot more awareness people like myself didn't know about this and yeah yeah there's a lot more awareness um generally on the the left or sort of people that would naturally vote labor sometimes being aware of what's happening internally in the Labour Party. The other thing I wanted to mention was, this is something I also learned, uh, which is not really that surprising when I joined the Labour Party, which is that just like in a general election, 
uh, where you can vote for whoever you want and you can do anything you want. But in the end, if you want to actually get anywhere, you have to vote Tory or Labour. Within the Labour Party itself, there is the same problem. There are lots of people uh, running for all sorts of positions, whether it's the NEC election, as we're about to talk about, or, or any other election that's coming up or down to very local elections. But there are generally two factions and therefore they put forward what's called a slate, which is the people that they decide out of all of the candidates should be the two or three or five or whatever is, is uh, available, whatever positions are available for that election. And if you don't vote for that slate or, or the other slate, then generally you're voting for like what you, they'd say in the US as a third candidate, uh, as someone that has, yeah, yeah. that has, has no sort of backing and therefore is not going to get anywhere. So in the UK, that would be like an independent or, you know, it could be a Lib Dem depending on the election. But this is interesting because, first of all, there are three slates for national executive. There is the left-wing slate backed by Momentum. There's the right-wing slate backed by Labour to Win and Progress, who are all disgusting human beings. There is the open Labour slate, which is a soft left, and we'll come on to that. But also the most interesting thing this year is that there is a left candidate who was on the slate for some of the smaller left-wing organisations, um, such as Jewish Voice for Labour, I think Labour Representation Committee and other groups backed her as well. And that's Naomi, who you've alluded to, who was not backed by Momentum. So this is a case where, in a sense, someone who didn't have the big group backing, the unified... Yeah, so how yeah. many, was, was it, there's nine positions, right? Nine. And they all went to either the right-wing slate or the left-wing slate, so the momentum slate or the, the pro progress slate, except uh, this one position. No, except no? also Amblack Open Labour. Okay, has, right, okay. Yeah, so we can talk about Amblack, because we're interested in history, maybe we'll the come two, on to that. two people who were yeah. on, on neither slate managed to get position, although she was, on, she was on the centrist slate. slate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. So soft yeah, there left. is a kind it's of... It's best to call it soft left, I would say. Right. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. So say during the Blair's time or even Miliband, like would you, would the left get, would win any people or would they win less? Yes, absolutely. The left has always won places. Going right back to the origins of what was then called the CLGA slate, the centre-left grassroots alliance slate. So I think it started under Blair. And I know Liz Davis, um, I think Pete Wilsman, possibly even Anne Black, I can't remember, because she used to be on the CLGA slate, the left slate, because it was attempting to unify, to build the left outwards into the centre was the argument. Yeah. Um, and I, my memory is that they all got on quite early on. I know Liz spent two years on the National Executive under Tony Blair, wrote a really interesting book on that, which I'll put a link to in, in the description below this video. Um, and she, a lot of them were kind of minor celebrities, particularly Liz, because she was deselected um, from the centre from a seat that she'd been selected in, in Leeds Northeast to stand as the MP. Um, and so I think off the back of that, um, she got voted to the national executive. It kind of maybe similar things happen with Naomi. So do you, think, do you think there's been much change um, pre and post Corbyn's leadership in how many people are winning NEC places? It's complicated because the elections then were first past the post, right? Right, okay. So, yeah. And you can see that you're always getting split um, results in those days as well. So you're getting some left, some right. So it implies that people 
were voting mixed. Um, the data suggests that people are more voting tightly from one state to another. So mostly people vote first choice, um, someone on the left slate, second choice, someone on the left slate, and, and the same for the they right slate, the slate yeah. but not entirely. So it was really interesting to see that there were some, so Luke Akers, the most toxic individual on the national executive. And, and uh, number one, right, most votes. Yes, got the most votes. So he has a lot of transfers because what happens is when you have too many votes, more votes than you need, your excess votes are given to other candidates. They're shared yeah. out, depending on who's put in second place. And it's interesting that some people have put Naomi, not many, but they have put Naomi Wimborne Adrissi second to Luke Akers. So whether they want that because they want drama in the national executive elections, or they want some kind of perverse form of balance. That's what they think. Yeah, that's interesting. Right wing pro-Israel lobbyist and the most strongly anti-Zionist candidate yeah. ever? I don't know. Yeah, because, um, I mean, Luke Akers would, would hate the fact that anyone that voted for him then voted for Adrisi, so it's quite interesting. Uh, anyway, so let's get on to the results. We, how many, I, I want to just go through quickly because I don't think we actually said, so it was yeah. four place. Momentum got four places. No, Momentum got three places. Oh, three places. Oh, they're not very good. Not very yeah. good. Yeah, uh, here, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not funny, but I've got the detail. <laughs> I'm not funny and I don't know anything. So it's really yeah, on you. Are, you are funny. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. uh, do you want me to do the introduction again? Is that what you're <laughs> So anyway, uh, and then um, the right got five. No. <laughs> Why don't you just say it and instead of me trying to guess? <laughs> okay, so the mental slate got three. Yeah. Um, Yasmin Dar, who is one of the um, incumbents. Gemma Bolton, who is also, I think, an incumbent. I can't remember. And um, uh, Jess Barnard, who has had quite a lot of high profile attention because she's been a very outspoken left-wing chair of Young Labour. Um, incumbent Mish Rahman, who was the fourth person mental slate, missed out. Um, Can I just ask, so Jess Barnard, she, she was, what, what happened to, was she not suspended or something? She got into a lot of trouble with young Labour. I guess she wasn't, or at least she's not anymore. I'm trying to remember. I think she was suspended very briefly and incorrectly, as it turned out. Is she the one? Suspended you incorrectly. Have... I don't know if that if really means anything anymore, but okay. So you might have to cut this if I've got it wrong. So I'm just doing it from memory, but my memory is she made some comments um, around uh, trans rights in support of trans rights, and she got a late night suspension for these, um, even though apparently when they looked into it, it had been discussed and it was decided it was not appropriate to take disciplinary action. She was incredibly successful at mobilizing online, and the suspension was revealed as basically some kind of idiot who had a bit of a revenge gig going on and late night decided to suspend the, the chair of Young Labour because that's how bitter that was right she got this message in the middle of the night right and it's so it's like the complaints department was kind of out of control it was sort of rogue uh, suspenders yeah. <laughs> rogue suspenders <laughs> <are there. laughs> that sounds like a different sort of video <laughs> sounds like a sort of fashion from the 50s <laughs> yes yeah indeed um so yeah so she got very quickly reinstated yes but it is quite common for people to stand for the national executive and get suspended. That was quite common back in the day. Doesn't seem to be happening now. Not even Naomi did. So, so Naomi kind of got Miss Rahman's place in the sense that the left vote went more to her. Um, and there was a kind of fight going on online between the grassroots four and the grassroots five. And the grassroots five was to include Naomi 
Um, and it seems like, like I said, I don't think this has ever happened before, that a candidate that had not got momentum's backing, but is on the left, beat a candidate on the left who has momentum's backing. Um, I just don't remember that happening back in, I think it was summer 2018, Pete Willsman was um, standing for election for National Executive Committee. Uh, people may remember his um, remarks during a National Executive meeting leaked, recording of him shouting about Jewish Trump supporters. Oh, yeah. Um, and momentum dropped him very quickly. The other groups didn't. But at that point, because the vast majority of people vote very quickly in an AAC election, most of the votes had been cast and there was no alternative candidate. So if you wanted to vote for nine lefties, you had to vote for Pete as well. So my thinking is this is not, that's not comparable. No. This is kind of remarkable and shows, I think, the waning influence of momentum. And that it was better back in the day when it had this logo, which I'm wearing. Yeah, it had, a it had a better logo. I think that's the main problem with momentum is that they need to get better graphic artists like this show, probably. <laughs> I, or just imagine it in your head. Imagine a better logo. That's what I'm all about now. Just imagine Imagine a better show. <laughs> Anyways, do you want to say any more about the the elections themselves, or do you want to start? Do you want Ooh, to talk about? Should we just do turnout? Y yeah. Okay. So we do not know what turnout is. We know how many people <laughs> oh, voted. Was, okay, let's move on then. Good, so we good know section. How many people voted. We just don't know what percentage that is. But they won't because they don't want to tell us how many members are, are in the party, basically. Exactly. So the, the actual turnout was 69.9 thousand. Right. And so if, let's just call it 70,000 because the maths is easier, right? So yeah. if that's 20%, then that means the party has, um, what's that, 350,000 members, which is less than they told the NEC. But it's possible because once you take into account lapses and things, it's not that far away from, I think they were telling them 430,000, something along those lines. Um, but 20% is a very low turnout um, in, for elections. And it could be a higher turnout of 25%, in which case we're looking at a party of 280,000 members. I imagine it would be a low turnout because just generally, not only have members left, but members that have stayed have not, are not as active as they were, right? Yeah. Did, did you vote? Sorry? Did you vote? No. I didn't vote either. Great. There you go, low turnout, right? Totally <laughs> neutral. Because we're kind of totally like quite involved, right? We must be in the top 10% of Labour members. Um, I mean, I was, I was, I did vote in the NEC election at some point. I never knew who these people were. And that's the other thing, because the slate system, you generally, it works partly because so much of this democracy, you have to really get, get into the weeds to know who people are. And in the end, you just sort of ask someone you trust or you, or you follow the slate, the momentum slate, what have you. And again, this will come on to Naomi, who is very well known, and we'll talk about why and what's been going on. But I was more actively more involved in sort of like door knocking and doing stuff rather than I think I didn't it took me a long time to go to Labour Party meetings for example uh, and when I did I, I quite enjoyed it actually and got into it but I found I just I, it was very alien to me I understood sort of on a basic level going and getting the vote out and sort of trying to uh, promote the party publicly I, I didn't get any of this oh let's let's go to a meeting and pass motions and stuff 
it took i just didn't you just don't get educated about what that is and why it might be important uh, you have to sort of find all this stuff out for yourself but i did yeah. eventually do that yeah yeah then, by, by 2019 i was i was regularly going to um branch meetings and clp meetings and everything yeah we still didn't vote but that's interesting yeah, i know we meet separately now the left in my branch we have our own little meetings like we don't go to the, ma- the normal branch meetings anymore wow we just have our little like but it's nicer though because we can drink wine and eat food and chat about politics yeah, but then you go to the clp meetings no i don't go to anything all right most, so... of the, most of those people aren't members anymore we've just had a little breakaway group there's a lot right. of people left in my branch the cool people left so as we said like there was one place that didn't go left or right it went to soft left and a lot of people are kind of confused about what the soft left is um and it's also particularly confusing because as i said Anne black used to be on the left slate back in the day so we just got a message that Anne black uploaded about jeremy corbyn not being a lay point member not having the whip and it kind of sums up the soft left so daniel's going to read that i might just read this bit because this is a bit that's interesting this is from january when they're discussing Jeremy Corbyn being readmitted to the parliamentary party as an as a Labour MP. Personally, I would have liked to lock Jeremy Corbyn's people and Keir Starmer's people in a sealed room a year ago, till they did a deal which allowed both sides to emerge with honour. This is that's actually the only sentence I'm, I'm interested in, it, uh, which comes back to I think what you said with, uh, when we we're talking about. Uh, well, this this fra- factional war and how people and how the Ford report thinks that just if they went to the pub together, everything would be all right. It's so delusional. This is a woman who's been on the National Executive Committee for decades, right? She gets elected because she does really good reports, and some people like those reports, um, I think, and because she has a bit of a personal following from that and other things. But it's just delusional to think that. The problem is that, you know, Jeremy Corbyn's people and Keir Starmer's people just somehow like fell out and had a lot of misunderstandings. That's the soft left. The soft left has no political analysis and they're always just like completely. Yeah. So this is what this is. Sorry. It was actually when we're talking about uh, Polly Tornby, right. And her article, just wishing that Corbyn went to the pub more. Corbyn doesn't drink. That might be the crucial problem with the whole of left-wing politics. He doesn't drink alcohol, so he doesn't go to the pub and they just don't trust him instinctively. But yeah, it's basically that they're not friends, right? And obviously, as you say, there's no political analysis. The main problem is that there is a factional war for power of this party, right? And I think I see this before and I know you, I just want to get your take. Do you think people like Anne Black, they genuinely think this is just a sort of personal problem between colleagues? And if they had gone to the pub or whatever, do they, they, they're just so sort of unpolitically aware that they just think this is a kind of, you know, HR problem. So you asked me that about poly time. Yeah, I did. And you I didn't was like, yeah. I said, I don't know what people's intentions are, but I have thought a great deal. And I've seen people up close and personal who have Anne Black's politics in the local party. I don't so yeah, you can't speak for Anne Black, but, but this, yeah, is, this is a have, common view. It is. I have some people in my head. I think they are incredibly naive. Politically, I think they're good faith actors, but it's not acceptable. 
because um, what happens if, if you don't take sides in issues like this is you veer towards the right, and particularly the soft left veers towards where there's power. So some of them did side with us a little bit during the Corbyn years because they wanted to become councillors or something. Um, but in the end, they, they, they fall into the right because that's where the power in the party lies. And everything that Anne Black has done, really, including on this vote to not um, restore the whip to Jeremy Corbyn, to not urge the chief whip to do that, was to align with the right and just to write a page of A4, which is just ridiculous, which you've read a little bit of, to explain why she hasn't done that, which makes no sense at all. Okay, let's move on to uh, Naomi, who was the other person who was not on a slate. Well, actually, Anne Black was. Right. Yes, she's, and there she was. She's on, the, she's on the grassroots five slate. Well, Anne Black. Oh, no, no, yeah, no. yeah, sorry, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which, which was backed by which groups? A smaller left group, so I can't remember all of them. I know Jewish Voice for Labour. Yeah, I imagine yeah. Labour Representation Committee. I assume CLPD backed her, but I haven't looked. But I'm she wasn't saying... backed by Momentum, which is the no. big news, right? Because that basically, yeah. as you say, Momentum has backed... They've had their own slate since Corbyn became leader, and they've won all of... If, or if anybody on the left has won, it's been through that. So initially, they didn't have any role in the centre-left grassroots alliance process at all. They simply backed the centre-left grassroots alliance slate-making process pre-exists Momentum and carried yeah. on when Momentum was formed. Momentum did not interfere with that at all. Then Momentum decided it didn't like a lot of the other smaller left groups and wanted to control the slate-making process. So it, it became part of the centre-left grassroots alliance. It became increasingly dominant part of that alliance. And it pushed its weight around. And it's not democratic. It's not Momentum members. It, Momentum is the most powerful because it has the biggest membership. But it's yeah. but it wasn't actually using the legitimacy of that membership because it wasn't a de dem democratising who, who was going to be on their slate, right? It was coming from Momentum head office as a centralised decision that they were deciding this is the Momentum slate. Yes, they wouldn't agree with that, but I would, for sure. And right, they wouldn't agree with that. Why? Because because they would say they had an open selection process. Anyone could apply. They had transparent criteria. But members didn't vote on it. No, but they would say that the people who were doing it were elected by members. That they were accountable. That there were processes that were transparent. I mean, yeah, okay. <laughs> I don't agree, agree with that. And what became increasingly clear was that Menton was not prepared to support anybody in Jewish Voice for Labour. And that hasn't changed, despite the leadership of momentum changing twice since um, that early stage when it was run by, I mean, a group of people, but with John Lansman taking a very strong role within it, but it was a collective around him. Yeah. Yeah. So Naomi Winborn Idrisi uh, won a seat on the NEC, despite not being backed by, neither, by either Momentum or the right wing slate. And it's historic news yeah. and it's great. And everybody was really happy. You saw the outpourings on Twitter. Everybody was like, this is great. We've got a Jewish, the only Jewish candidate to be selected. It would have looked pretty bad, wouldn't it? With, given Labour's history, if they hadn't uh, got a Jewish person on the, on the NEC in this election, but they did and everyone was happy. And then the, uh, all the Jewish organizations that you know, they just want to see the best, best for Jewish people. They came out and they they made a few statements of their own about it. Should we, do you want to read any of those, board of deputies or? Yeah, let's um, look. It's actually the board of deputies. 
the Jewish Leadership Council and the Community Security Trust, they came up with a joint statement, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they, they all they got together. <laughs> remarkable how quickly they came out with that joint statement. Um, yeah. Like, literally, like, I don't know how quickly it was because I didn't see it. I was out that night. Was, I found out that she won through the Board of Deputies. <laughs> so the Board of Deputies released a statement saying, let, let's read it because I don't want to misquote, yeah. heaven forbid. Do you want to read the whole thing? Yeah, so this is um, Jewish Labour Council, yeah, um, Board of British Deputies of, Jew of British Jews, uh, CST, uh, protecting our Jewish community. So this, these groups, and they put this statement out about the only Jewish person to be elected to the NEC in these elections, and this is what they said. The Labour Party under Sir Keir Starmer has worked hard with input from all of us on challenging and rooting out anti-Semitism from within its own ranks. Today's National Executive Committee election results represent a backward step in tackling the toxic legacy of anti-Jewish racism from Jeremy Corbyn's leadership of the Labour Party. Despite the progress that has been made since then, this vote demonstrates the scale of the challenge still remaining for the party. In Naomi Wimborne Idrisi, an extreme wing among grassroots Labour members have elected someone who stood on a platform to reverse the positive steps the party's leadership have taken and who has a history of repeatedly defending individuals expelled for anti-Semitism and other offences. The Labour Party must be clear that it will not allow this result to damage the, pro the progress achieved so far. Miss Winborn Idrisi should play no part in the disciplinary functions of the NEC and be kept off of any committees relating to equalities or the tackling of anti-Semitism. I don't think they go far enough. I think they should say that the Labour Party should say that this election is illegitimate and that she's not allowed, <laughs> she's not allowed to, uh, to be on the NEC. They should just say, we as a completely different thing that has nothing to the Labour Party have decided that the Labour Party should not have this because I mean who are you know it's amazing it's an amazing piece of writing where they're sort of dictating what the Labour Party should do after Labour members have democratically decided this is going to be the leader I mean why don't they just if they hate the Labour Party don't just leave it they think it's so anti-semitic then you know go and support another part why are they so interested in this horrible anti-semitic party you know what I mean? It's like you want to go to the English Defence League and go like, we, we, you know, the English Defence League, great party, we love all they do, but this <laughs> new leader, he's crazy. We need to get rid of this leader. There's, there's, a, there's racism throughout this party, I feel like. There's, there's endemic racism in the EDL, we need to get rid of it. It's like, I don't know. Yeah, that's why I think. So <laughs> it's I'm going to say so it's a moderate statement compared to previous incarnations of these. You're right. So they should really, to be consistent with their previous things, be calling for Naomi to be not just removed from the National Executive, but um, got out, got rid of from the party, right? Completely. Yeah. Then, yeah. It's surprising they're not calling. They're not calling for her to be suspended. I suppose. Yeah, at least suspended and actually expelled. The other thing, um, I mean, she supported Ken Livingston. She supported Jackie Walker. She supported Chris Williamson. These are all things which should make her de facto anti-Semitic and expellable within the paradigm in which the Board of Deputies, Jewish Leadership Council and Community Security Trust operate. They should also, of course, probably be calling for the investigation of anyone who voted for her. So we're talking about thousands of members because yeah. it's simply the, the nearly 5,000 people who put her top. Yes, because all, the, the, all of what you've just said about her uh, positions on other people that have been 
um, suspended or expelled, their, their, their public position, she's a, a quite a prominent representative of Jewish Voice for Labour, she's a spokesperson for them, and has spoken publicly about all of these things. So as you say, yeah, the own logic of the Labour Party is if you support people who are, in their words, denying the scale of it or, or denying that people uh, saying that people have been suspended have been suspended unjustly, saying that's a witch hunt, saying it's been weaponized, all of these things, then you yourself, right, should be suspended. So, yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, but they should take the, have the election again, and you should have to do a sort of little test before you go on <laughs> to say if you agree with the position before you're allowed to vote. So I think they've gone for something which is achievable and which they're concerned about. It's very, very telling that the things they've targeted are the disciplinary functions. They really don't want to stop the expulsions, suspensions, and disciplining of the left. Of the but how can you, uh, how can the Labour Party decide that this one member of the NEC, which is equal to the others, will not be allowed to take part in discussions on it? I don't understand how that would work. It's yeah, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a completely ridiculous thing to ask. It also won't make any difference because given the makeup of the National Exec. All the disciplinary panels, the three people panels, have two right wingers and one left winger on. The staff control that. So left wingers never have control of, of a disciplinary panel. But it's something about giving legitimacy to Jewish Voice for Labour within the disciplinary process, which concerns them. Yeah, and the, the other thing is, of course, is there is a problem here because this is happening under Keir Starmer. Who they do support, and as they as they, they openly say, and that Kisdom has taken great steps by suspending so many people, right? But at the same time, it basically shows in their on, on the terms of their argument of, of Labour having an endemic anti-Semitism problem, Starmer hasn't done anything. And basically, you know, if it, if it was still Corbyn, the blame would be on the leadership for not having done enough. Right. But here it's the, the blame is now on the membership who voted specifically for this person and for her for standing and for now being a part. And she should be controlled within the NEC rather than looking at the leadership and saying, look, you haven't done enough. Maybe Keir Starmer should go. Maybe Keir Starmer's a problem. Maybe Keir Starmer's attracted. He's got rid of some, but maybe he's attracted some other anti-Semites for other. You know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, there's no blame of the leadership here. Yeah, that is really interesting. And it kind of gives the game away, right? This is never about anti-Semitism. Yeah, of course. This is always about um, attacking the left. And so now Corbyn's gone. Obviously, it's about us and the membership. And it's remarkable that two anti-Semites like us didn't even vote. And yet she still wins. <laughs> yeah. How is that even possible? <laughs> I know. I'm just thinking of the other reason they want to keep Naomi off the disciplinary panels. It's because when she's on them, she'll actually make sense. Because like, most people can't speak sense about what's happening around anti-Semitism and the way it's being used. And she can. I wonder if that's quite difficult for people who are like Anne Black, who are a lot of people, not just Anne Black, but if you look at maybe some of the other people who come into the, the NEC through the unions, who maybe are again sort of not really looking into this in detail, maybe can see both sides of stuff. Their priority is trade unionism. And maybe they'll they worry that these people, if they're on a panel with Naomi, will actually see sense because of what how clearly yeah. she speaks about it. Um, and that, that will start to unravel things. I think what they are very concerned about, you're saying why they're interested in this party, is because what they've built up is so important to them. Uh, the other thing is, and we should mention this, it wasn't this wasn't a uniquely strange response from these three groups, right? This was also the response from a lot of 
members of the Labour Party or people that are involved in the Labour Party on the sort of right, people that have been on Twitter for a long time, very interested and very concerned, shall we say, about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party and pushing a particular agenda. And what I found fascinating was how the narratives now, if, if you were coming to this as say like, you know, the classic kind of alien throughout space, in fact, what's happening in the, in the Labour Party in the UK? And you look at the arguments, you've got on the one hand, you've got people saying, I can't believe that they've let in this, this racist anti-Semite into the Labour Party who dismisses all of the anti-Semitism, all of the hurt. And then on the other hand, you've got people saying, I can't believe that the right wing are so racist that they are attacking the only Jewish person to be in the NEC this time. And it's like, so both are calling each other racist for, and it's both kind of bad faith because the, the bad, I mean, and I was part of this as well. You sort of play with how ridiculous the right wing narrative looks when they're attacking a Jewish person for anti-Semitism and only a Jewish person for anti-Semitism. Uh, and then you sort of play on that. But I, of course it's a bad faith take off of their bad faith take. I know that what's really happening here, the people that are so forthright about it, they themselves are, well, they know that this that it's more complicated than that. This person isn't a racist, isn't an anti-Semite. They are someone that's sticking up for a particular position, which has been for the last few years uh, associated with anti-Semitism, as much as that can be, possibly, right? Yeah, I think some of them think that Naomi is anti-Semitic. I, I think some people do. I don't know about the people on Twitter who so confidently, you know, call her a racist. You know, they they yeah. want to make it as vicious sounding. I mean, they hate her. Yeah, sure. they really hate her. Yeah. Yeah, and they and they hate the fact that people haven't fully, that enough people within the Labour Party haven't fully bought into this narrative that anybody that questions the anti the mainstream anti-Semitism narrative in the Labour Party, anyone that questions that is themselves doing it because they themselves are like basically dismissive of anti-Semitism as a problem. They, just, they don't care about it at the very least, or they are actively support, they actually are anti-Semitic themselves. And so they think it's great. And that's yeah. the kind of argument that, so it's the argument that there's a bad faith argument that the other people are being bad faith. It's incredibly convoluted and crazy. And if, you, if you're completely outside of that, I think, and this is where I guess I was a few many years ago, it just seems like complete nonsense. What is going, you can't make any sense of it, right? It is bonkers. It is bonkers to say, as you said, like the only Jewish person to be elected in this round of elections, and that's the person who the Jewish communal organisations, the MPs like Margaret Hodge, um, and basically the whole of you know, the central Labour Party, or the right of the Labour Party, whatever you want to call it, are attacking strongly but it is because in defense, I mean, yeah, they're, they're attacking yeah. them because they're, oh, we are defending Jewish people from this horrible force. Yes. Which is an old Jewish woman. <laughs> so, so, yes, exactly. So, what Jewish people, the Jewish people they want to defend, need defending from is other Jewish people. I mean, that's been clear from the start. Yeah. That's but, always, but they won't, always... obviously, it's not framed as that. You know, they don't like the phrase the wrong kind of Jew. That's quite an eye opening phrase that you can use. But they they're not saying that uh, they're they're saying that there's a there's a there's a whole wave of anti-Semitism in the Labour Party, and she's a part of that, uh, perhaps naively, because she's Jewish. David Hush, uh, quote, because I think 
No, I'm giving the most sympathetic. This is not a lot of the stuff on Twitter. You can't even give that spin to. I mean, he's. I think he articulates well what that position is. He says Naomi Wimborne Idrissi has been only just. Yeah, she was only just. She was the final person to be elected out of the nine elected to the ruling body of the Labour Party. She's one of the key spokespeople for anti-Semitic politics in Britain. I think this is a key sentence. She mobilized her Jewish identity in an effort to make her anti-Jewish ideology seem plausible. So the argument is that Jewish people like Naomi, Jewish people like me, essentially because we speak as Jews are using our Jewish identity um, against other Jews. And so we're more dangerous. So that's why, for example, recently, like when I spoke out um, in support of Corbyn against the part of Israel, I got people coming for me and asking me all these weird questions like, where do you get your challah from for Friday night? And how much do you spend on your niece and nephew's Hanukkah presents? And where's your burial plot? And can you post your parents' marriage certificate, your the ketubah? And, uh, because what they're doing is like saying that you have to answer all these other questions. You're not a legitimate Jew. Obviously, that's just ridiculous. And actually, it's weird because I would score much better on all of those questions against someone like Rachel Riley. I have yes. much more Jewish identity and Jewish background than she does. But they never were, these, were these questions coming from Jewish people? Yeah. It's really quite scary, isn't it? The, 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 the sort of Jew on Jew hate. It's, uh, it's kind of, it's, it's really, yeah, it's dangerous. Uh, yeah. It's, and I think because of the way that what I saw from these elections, yeah, just the absolute different worlds, the sort of logic that you have to sort of, an, an argumentation that you have to get through to get to the stage of where their tweet or that statement would arise from, and then the opposite of that. Yeah. And it's just, um, yeah, I don't think they could get into a room as Anne Black once and just talk about, oh, I didn't realize that's what you meant. Yeah, I see. Yeah. No, exactly. It is insane. It just shows even more how insane the soft left position is. Um, is it worth reading Naomi's words? So she was quoted in a... No, no, we don't need to what she has to say. I'm going to read her quotes for other articles. I think they're quite nice. So Wimborne Drusi said her victory was a testament to the widespread support in the party for the kind of politics that JVL has been putting forward. There's a lot of left-wing members still left in the party, Wimborne Adrisi added. They want someone to speak for them on Labour's ruling body. That's exactly what I intend to do. She also said that the response to my election from several organisations that claim to represent British Jews is frankly disappointing. They've launched an attack on the only Jewish candidate to be elected on this occasion. That discredits them. Do you remember when Jeremy Corbyn went to the Judas Seder? Uh, yes, yeah. Right, and that was again where all the MPs came out saying how disgusting it was and how anti-Semitic it was that he'd gone to the Judas Seder. Yeah, even the Guardian, I mean, probably not their main article, but one of their articles about that was saying that it's a bit rich for Jewish organisations or Labour, no, Labour MPs to decide which Jewish organisations are good or bad. Especially when one of them couldn't even spell Seder. So Seder is a ritual meal that you have twice a year on Passover, once a year if you're in Israel. Um, and she spoke to Saber, S-C-B-E-R, which I guess was just an autocorrect. But, you know, if you knew what you're doing, you'd have spotted that. So, yeah, so I think that was when it, a lot of stuff came out. I think that was when people realised there was splits within the Jewish community and part of what was happening was that that was being transferred into the Labour Party. But I don't think 
I think it's very hard for people to follow through on it because it's just such a mess. Yeah. Well, I think it's interesting that the the right of the Labour Party will not give any ground. They won't allow the left wing of the Labour Party, say, to and and left wing Jewish people and the sort of uh, Jewish people that support Palestine. They they basically won't allow that to be represented in mainstream politics at all. When you know, like I say, you, know, you can you can always vote Tory. It's all right. You know, there is an option. <laughs> they generally do that as well, as well as wanting to control the nation. Yeah, yeah, party, they, they generally vote Tory. Well, I'm always amazed like this whole thing. Like, I mean, you could be a Labour member and vote Tory, right? Who would ever know? You just got to be secret about it. I mean, the whole yeah. the whole thing is is Trump's right. The whole everything's everything's rigged. <laughs> Actually, can I just find this? Tweet that was really amazing. Um, I was having discussion. Do you know the American Exception podcast? Uh, no. Okay, the American Exception podcast is an amazing um, podcast about the deep state, done by this guy called Aaron Good. And I was having a like, discussion. I saw your Twitter. discussion with him. I didn't. He, yeah. No, he was interviewed by Chapo, right? He was interviewed by Chapo. He was interviewed by Trinon podcast. So I found out about him through Chapo. And then I was like, then I signed up for his podcast. It's really good. I really want to read his book. But then we're having discussion about what the hell you should do, given that we live in um, an imperial oligarchy. Well, he says, I actually have more in my book about what might possibly lead to real transformation. But we do have to be realistic about the covert totalitarianism that we're faced with. It's the wealthiest, most powerful imperial oligarchy in human history. Um, and he finally said, I've talked about, I still do activism. He said, I think people should do what they can do, even under a regime that is a totalitarian imperial project, whose collapse or reformation may likely only come about as external material realities change. So it's all rigged, we do what we can, but we should not expect anything. And then when it happens, it will be through other shifts than the things that we're doing. That's a bit bleak, but maybe, but it's still fun that Naomi won, they yeah. mad. Um, that, that she's there is really great and we'd like to kind of send a message of love and solidarity to, to Ooh, and I'd, I'd quite like Keir Starmer to publicly sort of just come in and, and be a leader you know be a strong leader and say look we don't want all of this hate towards someone that's just been elected to the NEC right and we don't want people calling them racist and anti-Semite and stuff with all these unstantiated um, things being thrown at someone that's just being elected to the Labour. We want Labour to, to triumph and we should champion all the people in Labour, particularly this person who's had it really tough. And I think, you know, if, if Keir Starmer was a real leader and wanted to unite the party, he would come out and, and call, where is Labour's position on this? Right, because what, what is the leadership's position on what's just happened? Because it's all his followers, right? It's all his right. mob. It is, it yeah. is. It's these He's really rattled. aggressive Keir Starmer followers. I was shocked, I have to say. I, <laughs> I, I I couldn't go on Twitter for a while, um, yeah. mainly because <laughs> I hate Twitter, but <laughs> I rarely go on it. But today th there was another reason, which was that was the, the language was just a, was just atrocious. I mean, it is is exactly right. It's just Starmer supporters, and you could say that they're being really aggressive towards a democratically elected person with a with a, with a position. Like Luciana Berger all over again, right? It felt a little bit like a sports podcast at times, you know. Okay. <laughs> Why? Because the results are coming in and we're coming to oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. the reactions. 
I thought like that's the closest way I can get to sports, which is what you said at the beginning. Yeah, well maybe, well you never know, we might branch out. <laughs> I can do darts, that's the only sport I understand. Which one? Darts. Oh really? I don't yeah. know anything about darts. We'll do a darts podcast. I went to the World Championships Ali Pali quite a few times. Okay. So All I'm right. a bit of fun, yeah. All right, if you want a pod, maybe we'll do one on the Patreon. So you have to join the Patreon and you can, and I'll do one on what, what are my interests? Yeah. What's your Uh, sports interest? Sport. Um, I don't really follow any sport. I do like cycling and I do sports where I can be left alone, like cycling or skiing or something. No one, uh, maybe a bit of football. I'd like to see Newcastle United. Now they've got all this money, all the Saudi money. I'm, I'm, I'm not so sure Saudi's that bad anymore. I think maybe they're all right. And uh, they're going to get Newcastle to win the league. That's my hope in the next few seasons. So I met some people from um, Wrexham. Um, I was out on Thursday night. And the people at the next table were from Wrexham. Um, and do you know, like, Ryan Reynolds has bought out Wrexham Football Club? No. Yes. It sounds awesome, okay? He just pops into town with the really? other guy. But yeah, then he's really nice apparently. Everyone loves him. And he's he'll just seem like a nice guy. Yeah, he's, he sounds like top. He sounds really humble and he just wanted to get into sports. And what happened was Wrexham was kind of becoming bankrupt and the fans bought Wrexham. And he was looking around for a club and he was so thrilled that the fans had bought Wrexham that he decided he was going to, that was the one he was going to buy. Um, and, and now everyone's thrilled because there's money going into it. It's like better. And maybe it's going to get into the league because it's it's below, it's not a non-league club. And yeah, it was just like a super super interesting. There's actually a reality TV show on the Disney Channel about really? it. I haven't checked it out yet, but they told me about it. Okay, well uh, maybe we'll review that Disney show. We'll do. We can do. Like, I think this could be the Patreon thing. Random things that we might talk about. Come up with yeah. ideas. Shoot it in the Patreon. And we'll do one. We'll do one on darts. We'll do one on specifically the history of Wrexham Football Club. Uh, Ryan Reynolds' career. We'll go through. <laughs> uh, and yes, also like the video as always, comment. And um, yeah, we'll see you later. Goodbye. Yeah, bye.